Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode on Breast Cancer Conversations. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. I am so glad you're joining us today. Today's episode is recorded from our Metastatic Breast Cancer Sunday series. Every other Sunday, we bring together a panel of experts to discuss the nascent topics, trends, research, and resources specifically for the NBC community. But honestly, these are great topics for really anybody listening. We've created a repository of this information on our website, survivingbreastcancer.org, and I'll link to the information in the show notes below. Our Sunday webinars are between 60 and 90 minutes, but for your listening pleasure, I am breaking them into segments so we can take a deep dive on these rich topics and smaller bite-sized audio experiences. Today, we answer the question, what is palliative care? Another great resource I'd like to highlight today is the company Citizen, with whom we've recently partnered. Survivingbreastcancer.org and Citizen are joining forces to get you full control of your medical records so you can find better treatment options, including clinical trials. I was a little nervous at first in terms of privacy and medical data, but I've done the hard work for you. Citizen uses end-to-end military-grade encryption to keep your data secure and ensures that only you decide with whom you share this information. In addition to clinical trials, they also have amazing opportunities to get involved in research. Their services are absolutely free and of no cost to you to sign up. You can find out more at our unique URL code, which is citizen.com forward slash SBC trials and citizens is spelled C I I T I Z E N dot com forward slash SBC trials. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to me directly too. I'm at Laura at surviving Now let's dive right into learning about palliative care. Welcome to the conversation. I'd like to introduce our panelists uh, today. This is in no particular order, of course. The uh, first person I'd like to introduce is Dr. Medina. Um, if you'd like to give a wave, Dr. Medina. Hi. Uh, she <laughs> is actually my palliative doctor um, at the Miami Cancer Institute in Miami, Florida. And um, she is triple board certified. And I got that right. Yes. She just collects board certifications because she's just that awesome. Um, And, you know, there, there is a lot of stuff that goes into palliative care. But one of the things that I love about Dr. Medina and her staff is that they just approach things in a very gentle and a very inclusive and in a whole person type of way, which actually probably defines palliative care pretty well. So She's here today to uh, speak um, from her experience and her board certifications. Um, She did do a lot of her um, education down here in South Florida. Um, And certainly, if anybody is interested in learning more about her triple board certification, you can look her up on the Miami Cancer Institute's website. Uh, The second person on our all-star panel today is Marianne. Would you like to give a wave? And she's a breast cancer survivor with a particular interest in palliative care. Her project, um, I'm actually forgetting what the project's called. Marianne, have you named the project? Is it Palliative Care for All? No, no, we are not using that name, but we're still working on that. (laughs) Okay. But the whole idea is 
when is palliative care available? Why is it available? And who is it available to? Marianne is really working hard on gathering information on that and wanting to make sure that everyone who wants to have access to palliative care has access to palliative care, as well as identifying those places that have an exemplary program that can then uh, educate other programs on how to have an exemplary palliative care program. Um, she's also really good at connections. So if any of you guys listening need a speaker for anything, Marianne is a really good person to, to talk to. Um, and like really big organizations like Komen come to Marianne and ask her for suggestions. So anyway, um, Marianne, you're going to get a flood of requests now. So That's fine. I'm here. There you go. <laughs> Uh, the third person to round out our panel today is Jennifer O'Brien, who is a new friend who Marianne introduced me to. Uh, thank you for waving, Jennifer. Um, and she is the author of the book, The Hospice Doctor's Widow, and it's available on Amazon. And uh, that was written based on her journal that she kept during the time that her husband was in hospice. You... I was amazed by her um, book. I think that it is a must read for anybody, but especially caregivers who are looking at what does the hospice experience look like from a caregiver's perspective. And man, she keeps it real. She talks about how her husband wasn't always her favorite person during the uh, hospice, pro um, the process of being in hospice. And that tells you she keeps it real. Um, so it's an amazing resource for families, for caregivers. And quite frankly, she's just a really amazing human being. So thank you all for, for being here and giving of your valuable time. I'd like to start with Dr. Medina to just give us a basic definition of what, what is palliative care? Uh, that's an excellent question, Abigail. Perhaps it's probably the most important question uh, that people actually want to know for, for this evening. Uh, and, and quite frankly, palliative care ha has a very long, extensive definition and in order to do justice to all the work that we do, I, you know, I took the time to write down a little paragraph about exactly what it is that it means, as right. there happens to be still many misconceptions between hospice and palliative care. Certainly the WHO definition is very long, as well as the CAPC uh, definition, which is, uh, stands for the Center to Advance Palliative Care. So I took the liberty uh, to write down my own definition, which is still a little bit lengthy, uh, but I figured if we know exactly what this means, uh, we will really be able to really uh, assist uh, people in really wanting to know what this is. So uh, just bear with me a few minutes. So uh, essentially palliative care is a specialized medical care for people living with serious illnesses. Uh, this type of care or approach uh, is focused on providing relief from symptoms and stress during the course of a serious illness. The goal is to ultimately improve quality of life for both our patients and our families. Uh, palliative care is appropriate at any age or any stage in the course of a very serious illness. Uh, it can be provided along with all appropriate treatments and services, okay? Um, palliative care is also provided by a specialty trained team that includes doctors, nurses, or wonderful chaplains and social workers and other specialists as well. And we work collectively with other doctors or the other treating clinicians, as well as the families and caregivers to provide that extra layer of support that our patients often need. Um, so specialist palliative care is provided really in partnership with the family, the treating clinicians, and is delivered concurrently with uh, disease-modifying treatments. Um, our team addresses all the medical, psychological, spiritual, and social, uh, social needs of um, complex, seriously ill patients in the families. The team also helps to communicate with patients and families about goal-setting priorities, uh, 
what to expect in the future. And we also assist the families in complex decision making and exploration of uh, really medical treatment options. We also assist our patients in communicating all of these wishes to their family members as well as to other treatment providers. So that's in a nutshell, but very lengthy what palliative care means. Well, that is a very rich definition uh, <laughs> of what palliative care is. And thank you for, for giving us that, that rich definition. When you talk about is for seriously ill people, right. can you expand on that just a little bit? Because I think that there may be a perception that you have to be terminal to be eligible for palliative. Could you expand on that a little bit? Uh, sure, that's a wonderful question. So any serious illness can include any conditions such as cancer, neurological conditions like Parkinson's, ALS, any end organ condition like heart failure, COPD, kidney disease, et cetera. You know, these are oftentimes conditions that are protracted, they're long, uh, you know, and patients been having indeterminate prognosis when they have these very chronic prolonged medical conditions. And, and quite frankly, some of these patients may not be eligible for hospice because they don't have that qualifying, uh, you know, a, a certification of six months or less. But in fact, these are the patients that are really the most appropriate for a palliative care approach on, you know, by an interdisciplinary team. And so it does really encompass a lot of our very serious illnesses like cancer and the ones that I mentioned above. Okay. Hey, so can I jump in there? Is that okay? Yes. Jump in, please. Absolutely. Um, all right. I, I just would love to give the patient perspective on what is palliative care. Um, and the newer term that's being used um, is supportive care. So if you, at your facility, if you see supportive care and you don't see palliative care, that's okay. And it's probably more common to see that. But from a patient perspective, I define supportive care as the ultimate in personalized medicine, because right. it's all about you. There is no cookie cutter approach. It right. is quality of life, but it's quality of life as defined by you. And that definition can change as you move through your cancer experience. And so that to me is why it's the ultimate in personalized medicine that truly is delivered. And as what you were heard, it's in conjunction with your treatment. It's not in replace of, it's not instead of, it's added to. So we'd love to say that it's an extra layer that you are getting of care. And it's not just you, it's your family as well. So that is just a powerhouse of care that you could be getting from supportive care. And the other thing I want to mention is there are so many studies that have been done over the years that show if you give a patient supportive care early on, as early as even as diagnosis, you not only can, you know, obviously increase their quality of life, but you can increase the efficacy of the treatments they receive. Absolutely. And, and sometimes you can even extend that patient's life. So that's just a powerful tool. And that's why bringing it in at the end of life, you have missed such an opportunity for really, truly helping that patient and the family. Marianne, Absolutely. you ask a lot of great questions, if I can jump in as well, because I talk a lot about integrative care, right? And how we've changed the definition from alternative, right? Alternative is in replace of or something else, but this integrative care approach. And so I'm wondering if the supportive care or palliative care would also fall under that umbrella of integrative care. I would like to call it like more comprehensive, all-inclusive. Got it. You know, as, uh, as Marianne mentioned before, and it's really tailored toward that particular patient. It's very individualized and it's going to be very different for that particular patient and a family as opposed to, to other patients. But I guess it could be considered, I guess, integrative, if you will. 
that would be another way to probably describe it. Do I not? <laughs> I think that one of the things that supportive care tends to offer is also care management, which integrative care doesn't necessarily offer, even though they have many of the components that a supportive care team would, would offer you. And at the end of the day, if, if you're not getting the care management, but you're getting those pieces from integrated care, that's fabulous. Cause that's better than nothing. Right. <laughs> so many terms. Jen, would you like to jump in? I would. Um, in, so in, in my book, the, I, um, it's an art journal. And so there's a lot of pictures and my description of palliative care is an umbrella. So when you get a big diagnosis, when somebody in your circle gets a big diagnosis, doesn't have to be a terminal diagnosis. In fact, um, year, a few years ago, Tony Roma, the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys was prescribed palliative care because of a bad injury that was that was affecting his identity as a quarterback, right? And because palliative, so palliative care. So when you get a big diagnosis, um, a steady rain starts on you and your circle. And, and so I chose to depict it as an umbrella. So if you imagined that you were under that umbrella and you looked up and each of the sections of that umbrella is a section of palliative care. So it might be pain management, symptom management, social services, chaplaincy. um, uh, And and these are all the chaplain and the social worker and of course the physician and the advanced practice nurse. And every once in a while, there's also a clinical pharmacist involved because you're getting a lot of medications and that person is sort of tracking, hey, this might be causing that and this might be causing that. And so you're getting this team approach and you have the option for all those things, but you don't have to access all of those things. It's kind of a little bit. And sometimes all of those components and team members are helping you sort of from the background, right? They're meeting in the morning together, talking about the patients in the scenario. Um, Sometimes when the social worker had a few minutes with you, he or she picked up on this thing. And, and so it's a really incredible collaboration. It's at my, my other background, my make a living background has been in teaching physicians, the business and leadership side of medicine. So I can tell you, I've worked with a lot of specialists and um, it is the, it is the one specialty where I can tell you in no uncertain terms, the physician sees him or herself as part of a team, not, not de facto the leader of the team, but as very much a part, a collaborator on that team. And, um, and so anyway, and that, you know, so, so that's how I sort of, and then you look up and you have that umbrella and sometimes the rain lightens up and you don't, you don't need palliative care for a time. And sometimes it gets heavy or the wind picks up. And you need, and you need a little more help. Um, and then at, at su- and the other thing that palliative care very much recognizes, which again, not all specialties do, is the fact that at the end of life comes death. Right. Fact. And so it is palliative care is, it keeps that in mind that this doesn't go on forever. 
And we want to make we want to make it as full and as positive as it can possibly be. And we want to be realistic about who you are and what your wishes are. And so palliative care can very easily transition um, the patient and the family to a hospice status. So hospice is actually probably one of those sections of the umbrella, right? Mm. Am I, is that, do I kind of have that right? Yes, absolutely. Thanks. I and love that metaphor. That metaphor. That provide it. <laughs> Yes, it's perfect. That that metaphor is just lovely for the the um I think the intention and the idea of what palliative care is designed to be. But I know that one thing we we talk about a lot in the the metastatic groups is um how does a patient learn about palliative care? Um and I know I I had asked Dr. Medina for some statistics not too long ago about how do people find her. So would you like to to share about where patients come from when they get to you Dr. Medina? I'm sure. Um I you know in my particular situation it's very easy to access palliative care because I work in a cancer center and our clinic is literally embedded in an oncology clinic and so that really makes it very simple for our patient population. The only downside to that is that unfortunately I don't really get to see too many other patients outside of the, uh, the oncology environment. And I certainly, I'm not able to see as many patients from the community, just basically the patients from the cancer, the cancer center. But essentially, it's been a very collaborative effort. And so that way, the patients can actually have access to me very quickly. Um, I, I suppose for patients who live in the community who are routinely seeing their primary care doctors or their specialist doctor, they can always ask that provider you know, about palliative care, about those services. That would be one uh, initiative. There's also a wonderful resource in the community. I think it's called getpalliativecare.org, where there may, uh, and then there's like a very nice um, cheat sheet, if you will, with many frequently asked questions. And there's also a directory. uh, And perhaps they may be able to find uh, physicians in the community or teams uh, that they may be able to, to consult and to see. Um, you know, if, if patients are hospitalized, it's also very easy because we have a lot of support and a lot of services in the hospital. And so essentially, a patient would just have to ask a doctor or a nurse if they can see a palliative care team, if that service is available in that particular institution. And Marianne, from a patient perspective, what are you hearing from patients as to how they find out about palliative care? Um, they say, what's that? <laughs> I get that question all the time. They've never heard of it and they've never um, had their clinician initiate a conversation about it. So I think among all the stakeholders that supportive care touches, there is a huge gap in understanding that A, it exists and B, what does it do? What are the benefits of it? And when actually C, when do you bring it in? So mm-hmm. that, that is part of the reason why patients are not getting the access to supportive care like they should be, even though we know about these studies that prove how effective they are in, in changing the experience. Um, I, I think that the patients have to be, you know, that self-advocate and, and be looking for information as they would on their disease and on their treatments that they're being told about, you know, explore what is out there for, at your center. And you're going to have to look for more than just the term palliative care or more than the term supportive care because there is this language barrier that confuses it even more. It's called so many different things. And really what you're going to be looking for is a department that sounds like the definition you just heard today. 
And I don't care what they're calling it. That's the department that you should be calling directly and saying, I want your services. How do I get them? And find out. Or having that discussion with the the doctor that you see the most. That's your medical oncologist, your primary care doctor. Are those doctors also people who know about palliative care in your experience, Marianne? Yes and no. Some, some of them um, know about it. However, the reason I even began to look into creating an advocacy initiative is because in the breast cancer peer support group I run, we had a metastatic member who told us that she was able to finally get approved for supportive care. And should we celebrate with her? Because look, look how great this is because she, her oncology team told her she wasn't bad enough yet to get it. Exactly. Exactly. And that was my first big like clunk on my head. Like, Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Is this a thing or is this happened to be just an oncology team that wasn't, you know, educated on the service and it's a thing. And yeah. metastatic breast cancer patients, just by diagnosis alone, have more than their fair share, right? And we need to do everything we can. And this exists. So it's not even that we have to create this service. These services exist. So let's get them the access that they deserve to have. And that's why I say, if there is a department at your cancer center that offers services like this, go to that department first. Ask them, what is the protocol for getting your services? And then you can also like pull in your oncology team and say, hey, this is what I did yesterday. I talked with Dr. So-and-so in a supportive care department, and this is what they told me to do. And so I'm going to be pulling them in. That's where I say, be that self-advocate and and get what you need for it. Sometimes people are told, oh, also you need a referral. And I'm not going to give you the referral because you're not bad enough yet. You know, you don't always need a referral. And so they, I would say sometimes the oncology teams don't understand all the details. They don't know when to bring it in. They don't understand that the referrals are not always necessary, right? There's a lot of misinformation. And so, but we can help with that. We can help you know people understand what the reality is. So let's get um, the care that the metastatic breast cancer patients deserve to them as early as possible. My, my experience with part of this problem, again, looking at it from the specialist standpoint, the primary specialist's standpoint is the, the, the misconception falls under one of two headings. They don't truly understand. They use palliative care and hospice synonymously. And so they say, oh, you're not sick enough for that yet. I mean, it, it's, it's a real issue among physicians of all shapes and sizes. The second issue that's very real, I think, is that the oncologist say, or, or the neurologist or whomever it is, um, has in their head that they do this, mm-hmm. that they're providing all of everything you could possibly need that palliative care provides. And th- those are the two big stumbling blocks. And, and Marianne, I think your suggestion is awesome to advocate for yourself seek out whether it's there or not before you broach it with your specialist, with your primary specialist. Um, Because I think that would be very, you know, the relationship between the oncologist and the patient is, is such an important one. And it's so close. And if you had one of those oncologists who really thought that they were covering all that or thought that palliative care was the equivalent of hospice, 
and you said, hey, I want this thing. And they said, oh, no, 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 that's not for you. And then you went and did the research afterward, right? Then it would be harder to reapproach. But if you sort of do some background checking before, I think you've got the order exactly right, Marianne. I'm glad you think so. I just, I don't want a patient to be in a situation where they're asking anyone on their medical team for something to help them with like supportive care and they're being told no and they go, oh, okay. And they, and they, and they leave it alone and they never get the supportive care that they deserve. Right. Because it is so much more than any oncologist can really provide. I mean, they, they, they have in their head that they're doing it, but but they just don't understand the full range of services and um, and team approach and interdisciplinary approach that it is. Yes, and I was incredibly blessed that in one of my very first meetings with my medical oncologist, she sent me right over to Dr. Medina because I do think there are those doctors who really do get, here's my lane, I'm gonna focus on killing the cancer because that's what medical oncologists do, right? Exactly. Um, all those other things that, that come because they know they come, other people, other people do that. Other people have, have that specialty. And I think that that's where, if you are in a, a cancer center where the medical oncologists understand that, you don't have to take some of these, these extra steps. But I appreciate the explanation of, this is what you can do if, something like that happens. And I do know that there are several large cancer centers where they don't look at palliative care as being something that metastatic breast cancer patients are able to access if they are no evidence of disease. So once they get to that plateau where, you know, some people call it remission, it's not really remission, but you know, where, where the cancer is behaving itself to the point where you can't see it in the body, that that means that they are ineligible for palliative care. Now, that is an internal type of regulation that doesn't comply with the definition that we know about palliative care. And I am very thankful that at um, MCI down here in Miami, that that is not an issue. Um, So thank you for all of those things. Dr. Medina, did you have something else to say? I'm sorry, I might have cut you off. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I did want to to add to what Jennifer and, and Marianne did say earlier. Certainly, there are still many clinicians in our institution who might not still understand exactly what palliative care is. But one of the strategies that we have used in order to obtain referrals has been using the word symptom management as a way in. And I think they have really, really bought into that. And and, and at least from a symptom perspective, when they see that patients are really struggling and are really in distress, although they may not entirely understand what palliative care means, they can recognize that their patients do need help and they do initiate those referrals. And so I haven't really encountered any doctors really in our facility that have told the patient, I don't think it's it's time. I don't think you meet criteria to go there. Uh, I think it's been the other way around. But I think that concept of, you know, I have, a, a, you know, a colleagues that I work with that could really help with symptom burden, with distress has really uh, made a, a difference in the referrals that, that, that we get. And I quite frankly get many referrals every single day. But and it has been a way as using symptom management as the way in. They almost never really use the word palliative because it gets confusing. You know, they might not use the appropriate terminology, but they can often recognize that there's distress and they actually do send the patients and do refer them. So there we go. We've got supportive care. We've got palliative <laughs> care. Now we've got symptom management. All right. So we're, we're building our lexicon here. Go ahead, Larian. Oh, there's more. There's integrative palliative care. That's a thing. 
<laughs> and there actually is a nonprofit called Integrative Palliative Care <laughs> Coalition, I think. So okay. There, there's quite there's quite a bit. And that's why I say don't get caught up in the term, whatever that department is called. Make sure you understand what the services are. And that's what you're going to go after. Um, but I think it's important also for the metastatic community to know that for several years now, ASCO has had guidelines in place that mandate that supportive care be given early on to all right. advanced cancer patients. Correct. So you are and, and out of line to be asking for as soon as you get a diagnosis. You are right in there with what ASCO is mandating. It's just the guidelines are not being followed. So let's help them. Let's help our clinicians, like, you know, get on board. <laughs> would you Would you define ASCO for our listeners just in case they don't know what that um, acronym is? It's the American Society of Clinical Oncologists, right? Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, that's okay. Uh, that was one of the first things that that I uh, struggled with when I was newly diagnosed metastatic. Is there are all these terms and there's all these acronyms? So I try to remember uh, remember that. Um, Jen, would you share with everybody how long your husband spent in palliative care? Well, so my husband, so the irony, of course, of my situation is that my husband was a, my late husband was a palliative care and hospice doctor and was diagnosed with a metastatic stage four cancer, not breast, but a cancer and um, lived for 22 months from diagnosis. Um, But the the irony, of course, and uh, for me was that, (laughs) was that our our palliative care was DIY. And so all of those things that we talked about that under the umbrella that helped the caregiver and the circle and the family, you know, I, I didn't get that. Um, I knew it existed, (laughs) lucky me, but I, but Bob was really determined and Bob was determined to, you know, not be the patient of his partners and his fellows and I was determined to support him in whatever he wanted at, you know, for the end of life. So, or for what he had left of life. So I just figured some stuff out and, um, and I had also lost a couple of other, I lost my brother at a very young age and I lost my mother to pancreatic cancer. So I had, you know, some ex- personal experience and I kept the art journal purely as a self-care method, um, just like ne- needed to get my thoughts and feelings. And and because I was incorporating a lot of what he used to share with patients and families, we were now turning that on ourselves. And I created collages about that, you know, because I, 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 I just, I don't know, because that's what was in my head and heart. So anyway, that was that was sort of sort of our story, and um, yeah. Did I did I answer your question? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think the the point that I I wanted you to make, which you made beautifully, is that um, palliative care is all about what the patient wants, and if that means you're not going to an official or organized team, that doesn't mean that you're not actually benefiting from this concept. Um, but, um, Dr. Medina, how long do you, if you have a typical length of time, how long do patients tend to receive palliative care? Uh, that can be very variable. You know, it really also, uh, it's determined by the time that the patient is referred to a team. 
Um, and so in my experience, for example, I may receive patients that are quite frankly, very, very late referrals, probably within days or weeks uh, of death, and which is quite unfortunate because I feel that there's not a lot that we could intervene. We could have intervened a lot out earlier. But in the ideal case scenario, we would really like to see, especially those stage four patients, to be seen on onset of diagnosis. Uh, you know, perhaps there may be a very heavy symptom burden at that time. There are times when, when there is, but there's also a huge psychological impact. Uh, you know, lots of stress around that diagnosis and really coping and, and, and internalizing all of that information. So ideally, if it were up to me, you know, patients would get palliative care from disease onset all the way to death and debriefment period in the hospice transition. Yeah. So however long the patients need it, sounds like, Correct. is, is Correct. the answer that people are in hospice. Marion, have you looked into this at all from a patient perspective? Um, so what you were saying, Dr. Medina, reminded me that another uh, supportive care doctor um, taught me that supportive care is all about trust. Right, and absolutely. building trust between that patient, the family, and the supportive care team. And can you imagine trying to build that level of trust at the end of you know life when you're in the crisis, that, right? That's going to be extremely difficult. And the supportive teams do everything they can. They do the best that they can to, to offer the services. However, if you brought them in early on into your care and were able to develop that communication and that trust right. among all the members of your team and you, now you have them. And when you're thinking the most clearly and when everything is the most calm and stable that it's going to be. Correct on your side and and when things start going a little you know wonky then that's okay because you, now you're going to feel good that you already have this team who knows you and right. and what care and treatment that you want Absolutely. So, yeah that I thought that was so interesting you know to learn and think about that and connect those dots and he said to me well we're the doctors who listen <laughs> I don't know how the other clinicians would feel about that, but that's how he <laughs> But that's such a good point. And um, if some of you heard the webinar two weeks ago about estate planning, that was the exact same thing that Anna Spencer shared with all of us, that you do your estate planning before the crisis. You do it while you're thinking clearly, while you have the space to, to think through things. You don't do it when there's a crisis. You don't do it when everything is in chaos or when you're overwhelmed by symptoms and cannot even communicate clearly what you need. So it's an excellent point about seeking something like this early. Um, but Dr. Medina, what do you say to patients who say, why do I need to add another doctor? I've already got five doctors that I have to see all the time. What do you say to those patients? And that is the question we are going to address in our next episode. Now that we know what palliative care is, let's find out why it is so valuable for us to have access to yet another doctor on our medical care team. Thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. If you would like to find out more about our organization and upcoming events and ways to connect, you can find out more by visiting our website at survivingbreastcancer.org. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast is from personal experiences and it is not a substitute for professional medical advice you should always consult your medical care team. If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, feel free to contact me directly at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. And of course, we have a couple social media handles you can follow us at as well. For example, survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, as well as our podcast specifically, Breast Cancer Conversations. 
Until next time, keep on thriving.